the challenge for us as intellectuals and as medical professionals is to remember that we are healers, not just operating on corpses. We're here to heal and only through the power of the heart and the innate intelligence of your body and mind coming together in a coherent state can we begin to heal not only ourselves, but the patients sitting in front of us, the communities we're a part of, and our larger world. Hi folks, I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is the Emergency Mind Podcast, a place where we bring together lessons from the emergency department and beyond about performance when it matters the most and applying knowledge under pressure. Our guest this episode is Dr. Caitlin Dowling. Dr. Dowling holds a PhD in clinical psychology and is the founder of The Sustainable Self and describes herself as being on a mission to create greater harmony between human, natural, and technologic systems. Functionally, what this means for us in the high-performance under-pressure world is that we spend a lot of this conversation talking about the idea of coherence. Now, there's a lot more to it, but essentially coherence is generating a really positive synergy between your body, including your physiology and your automatic stress response, and your mind, your thoughts, and the mental models that you're working with. Obviously, Dr. Dowling will do a much better job explaining that later in the episode. If you're interested in seeing more of her work, you can find her at Sustainable Self Inc. That's sustainableselfinc.com. Before we get started, a reminder, if you're not already, to sign up for the Emergency Mind newsletter. It's called Knowledge Under Pressure. It's free. It's awesome. And it does a deep dive into a lot of the concepts we cover on the podcast, as well as bringing together sources of inspiration on performance under pressure from around the world. Um, And it leaves you with a question, something that I'm working on, something that the Emergency Mind community is working on every issue. So if you're interested in getting that newsletter, head over to emergencymind.com slash sign up. Okay, all that said, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really psyched to talk to you. We had a great conversation the other day. And and I think for folks listening to this, it's going to be a really interesting, really deep conversation that's going to push you to change the way that you think about um, a bunch of things and hopefully give you a bunch of tools to help out. So, So Caitlin, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so why don't we start, uh, if you don't mind, just give everybody sort of an overview of like, like, who are you? What's your deal? Where do you come from? And, and what got you interested in thinking about all this stuff we're about to talk about? Mm, sure. Great question. Um, so I guess I'll start academically. Um, I have a background in clinical psychology. I completed a PhD in clinical psychology and multicultural community psychology in 2017 here in Los Angeles. And what I focused on there was in addition to, you know, learning the kind of pragmatic skills of being a practitioner, a mental health practitioner, um, I looked a lot at the nature of emotions and global environmental problems. So um, I've always been one of these people that kind of has had an understanding of systems and uh, the way in which different systems that we're a part of interact. Um, And so I went back to school, you know, in my mid to late 20s to kind of more deeply understand the inner aspects of the human system, um, the psychological and emotional side. Um, And then, you know, besides that, I'm a a mom and um, a businesswoman. And, you know, I just am figuring it out as I go. Aren't, aren't we all? Um, <laughs> I, I love it. And, and I hope, so right away, you mentioned something that I hope is a theme of what we're going to talk about today, which is sort of the, 
the fractal nature of human systems and human performance, right? So I, we're going to talk a little bit about the interior systems that define how we um, act, respond, and perform, and then placing those in sort of the centerpiece of a larger, uh, different scale set of systems about how teams and organizations perform. Uh, so when you and I were starting to talk about this, one of the things you mentioned that really struck me right off the bat is this idea of, of coherence. So why don't we start there? What's coherence? Yeah. Um, so coherence is basically a state of being, right? It's, it's a state that results from a set of techniques that can be practiced in your daily life. And the simplest way to think about it is that coherence is when your, your heart or your body and your mind sync up and enter into um, a, 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 a pattern of relationship with one another where, where your brainwaves actually enter into more of a sign-like or alpha wave state. So to make that more explicit or to sort of bring forward some of the background of that. So what we're talking about is the vast number of connections between the, I guess I'll call that cardiopulmonary physiology to pick a technical word for it and brain waves and thought patterns. And, and I think one of the main factors of this is that it's uh, diverse, complex, and multi-directional. Am I getting that right? Yes. And so coherence, however, focuses more on the ascending or afferent connections between the heart and the brain. Um, so, you know, as most medical professionals are taught in school, the heart is a pump, right? And it circulates blood in the body, but it also continually transmits a dynamic pattern of neurological, hormonal um, pressure and electromagnetic information to the brain and throughout the body. Um, so there's been an abundance of research over the last, you know, 30, 40 years that shows that cardiac ascending input influences the activity and function of higher brain centers um, that are involved in both perceptual, cognitive, and emotional processing. Um, so these can either inhibit or facilitate cortical functioning, um, depending on, on, on the information that it's sending. So this is so interesting to me because so many times on this podcast uh, and throughout my training, we talk about the other direction. We talk about the conscious centers of control working through the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems in order to modulate um, the activity of the body and control things like arousal and, and heart rate and all sorts of things. And usually when we talk about that, we're talking about descending pathways predominantly around breath. Um, mm -hmm. And I imagine we're going to sort of hit some of that today too, because breath is yeah. one of these things that spans conscious and unconscious control and is one of our, our key inputs into our own autonomic nervous system. But here you're talking about the other direction. You're talking about the ascending information and the ascending pathways. Um, What's the story behind that? I mean, are we aware of that? Or do we feel that? Is that something I'm conscious of? Or is that something that that lives below my conscious mind and just sort of influences me like any number of other things I might not obviously know about? Sure. Well, I mean, throughout history, there's always been, you know, myth and story and legend and philosophy that points to the heart having its own innate intelligence, right? The wisdom of your heart, um, the power of your heart, right? Love, 
um, all of these things are associated with a physical region in the body, but we perceive our consciousness to originate in the brain. So if you're talking physiologically in terms of where things are located, of course, yes, if you believe consciousness originates in the brain, then, then yeah, it is below. Um, but I would say more importantly, uh, our, our ask right now at this stage um, is to really reintegrate those different centers of wisdom that exist in the body. Hmm. And what, what does that mean? What, is, what does reintegrate mean in that sentence? Well, one way to think about it is that, you know, give or take for the last few hundred years, humans have kind of created a split in our understanding of wisdom and knowledge between, uh, you know, the, the cognitive realms, what we know, what we understand, what we can learn with our mind and the body. And so integration really is about bringing back into harmony um, our understanding of these different centers of, of, of knowledge and in the body and the mind. Okay. So one of the things I'm hoping that we do in this conversation today is to, to interweave two threads, right? And one thread is sort of the deeper theory about what we're talking about here, about how the body and the mind work together and how we've sort of drawn them apart and, and how putting them back together and, and finding that integration is in fact a source of strength and human performance under pressure, which is sort of where we're steering this a bit. Yeah. The other thread is the functional on the ground. What does that mean to me sort of piece yeah. of it? Um, and so, so maybe this is a good time to jump slightly to that other thread as we do this. So, okay, I want to integrate my, you know, I've been taught a uh, Plato based sort of like, you know, split between body and mind. And you're telling me, Hey, Dan, that's like, probably not actually really all that there is in the universe. And really you want to sort of integrate yourself back together. W what am I doing? How does that work? What does that, what does that mean? And, and functionally, how do I start getting interested in and approaching that? Um, yeah. So I would, I would say the easiest way to tap into this, this experience is through a technique that's called quick coherence, right? So I would actually invite you and I to even take a moment here for your listeners to walk through a little bit of an exercise. Let's do it. You're open to it. Okay. In order to get started, it's important to just remember that a lot of this is about breath, right? And it's also about using the power of your imagination because most of us do really think of our consciousness as existing in the mind. So for this exercise, I'm going to encourage you to just Find a comfortable either seated or standing position and begin to breathe into the area that you would associate with your heart. So taking a deep breath in. And exhaling. And I want you to use your imagination to direct all of the energy that you usually carry in your mind down into your heart. Continue to breathe, inhaling and exhaling. And imagine that energy moving around in the space of your heart, allowing it to breathe fully into that space. 
Next, I would invite you to intentionally cultivate some kind of positive emotion. This could be love. This could be joy. Could be gratitude. Continue breathing. And when you feel a shift, open your eyes. That's really cool. I definitely feel like a warmth and a bit of peace. And um, I don't know, I want to use the word coherence because we're talking about it, but I'm not sure that's what I actually feel. But I, I feel warm and, and peaceful from that. And um, that obviously took us only a couple of seconds to sort of yeah. to sort of run through there. And, and it's actually really simple. And and that's what I think most people most a lot of people shy away from mindfulness practice because they think it involves a lot of, you know, attention, concentration, lots of practice, et cetera, et cetera. But most people can enter into a state of coherence pretty quickly. Um, and so what the practice actually does, it is it it allows you to reset your your baseline, right? Um, so the baseline, your body is constantly striving for a state of harmony. And if you walk through life experiencing a great amount of stress, as you know, someone who works in emergent situations would understand, your body is training itself to use that in a, in a way as its baseline. So if you can practice coherence throughout your day, you will begin to shift your baseline into this, this state that is more harmonious. Um, hmm. And so when I first heard you say that, I thought that what you're meaning by baseline is what we might medically call sort of homeostasis, but it's actually different than that. You're, you're not talking about homeostasis. You're talking about sort of where my, where my center set point is of, um, of what is it? Is it arousal? Is it consciousness? Okay. It's, it's about bringing your center of consciousness into the heart. I like, I like to use examples because um, I think they're helpful. So when I was completing my doctoral training, one of the placements I had was um, at a, a treatment center that was working with um, mostly men who had exited the incarceration system and were convicted of um, a form of a, a type of sex offense, right? Um, and so as an intern there, it was my responsibility to conduct group therapy and individual therapy with these individuals. And so this practice for me was profoundly supportive in moments of acute stress in difficult settings like that. Because what it enables you to do is very rapidly shift your attention to a place of heart-centered consciousness and that gives you the ability to respond in a different way than you would if you were under the, you know, normal stressful situations or the way the ways in which we typically respond under stress, right? So what do you mean there when you say heart-centered consciousness? Because I guess what I'm what I'm hearing is you saying, okay, 
I am in a really difficult circumstance. There's the opportunity to respond to what I'm feeling here with any number of things, which while you know rational might not be necessarily helpful to the situation. Maybe I'm right. responding from fear or anger, or I'm responding from a trigger of trauma, or I'm responding from anxiety. And instead, what would be useful to me and to the people I'm trying to serve is to respond from a place of calm and peace. Um, you know, we talk sometimes about the Yorks-Dodson curve and sort of your ability, your relationship between performance and sort of overall state of arousal. Um, we talk a lot about it, the idea of sang right? The the idea of of cooling your blood and sort of engaging from mm -hmm. a calm, peaceful space. The sort of chaos coming all around you, and it it seems to be like you're saying that like like heart centered consciousness fits within those pieces, but but how? What what are the links in there? I think it. I think it's helpful to remember that our stress response is autonomic, right? It's it 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 happens automatically without our um, without our conscious control, right? So if if somebody is, you know, screaming in your face, and you know, I, I mean, maybe you can come up with a more pressing example from from your work, but you know, if somebody is hemorrhaging in front of you, your, your cortisol levels shoot up, right? Naturally, that this is a stressful situation in which you need to respond right away, right? So taking that one second pause to do the quick coherence technique and shift your awareness into a state of embodiment in your heart actually shifts your entire operating system, your internal operating system from a state of depletion and stress with higher levels of cortisol and anxiety and a heart rate pattern that is irregular and allows you to enter into a state of renewal where DHA is released, where you experience a sense of contentment and serenity and your brain and your body are syncing up in a way that allows you to apply your training and education more efficaciously in that moment of crisis. Hmm. So it's, it's sort of like a bit of, is it like the flow state that people talk about? You could think of it like that. Yeah. Okay. So this is a way to sort of help us enter into a deeper, more responsive, more, more productive and peaceful state as we're in the middle yes. of whatever else is falling down around us. Yeah. It, it builds your resilience. And that's what I'm referring to by baseline. It, it, it allows you to have a, a higher threshold for stress in the body mind and to walk through the world in a way that is in greater harmony with, you know, the way we were intended to be. Hmm. So, um, Kelly McGonigal, who's an author out of Stanford, um, talks a lot in her book, The Upside of Stress, about the differences between observing something as a threat and observing something as a challenge. And one sure. of the things that comes out of her work uh, talks a lot about this idea of the different chemicals that your body 
musters, right? The different hormonal and, and sort of neurohormonal response you muster when you're feeling like you're threatened versus you're feeling like you're challenged. And that strikes me that there's a lot of similarity between between those studies and what you're describing here, mm-hmm. right? That this is a way to sort of remind you that you're here on purpose. You're here as a challenge and it's a joyful challenge and it's a hard one, but it's one that you're sort of like stepping forward into as opposed to being threatened by. Yeah, and and threat is perceived, right? To a certain degree. Um, obviously, you know, if you're in the middle of a jungle and a tiger jumps out at you, that that is an objective threat, right? Or if there's somebody holding a gun to your head, that is an objective threat. But most of the time, threat is assessed through our subjective experience of perception of the world around us. And so quick coherence and being in the practice of entering into co- a coherent state more regularly enables you to shift your relationship to perceived threat. Gotcha. So in that way, this quick coherence model functions similar to a number of tools that have been sort of brought forward for people on the front line in the middle of a trauma, in the middle of whatever, to sort of recenter, reset, and and move forward. Um, so I'm thinking off the top of my head of like the tactical pause and tactical relaxation approach, per, like sort of advocated by like Michael Askin and that group of people in, in the mm-hmm. warrior's mindset on combat sort mm-hmm. of field, um, or a lot of the the ritual that we see, you know, elite athletes performing right before they take the stage or they're, they're sort mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the moments right before the bell rings kind of idea. Right. Yeah. And the the only thing that I would share is that warriors are often taught that they can't be connected to their heart because they're expected to shoot and kill other humans or the enemy, right? And so in in this practice, using quick coherence, the goal is to remember that our heart does actually have its own innate intelligence that is different from just pausing to breathe, right? So it's it's greater than that, um, but inclusive of it. Yeah, tell me more about that. That sounds amazing. What else? <laughs> what else do I get when I when I link in my heart here? I love this idea. <laughs> well, um, in addition to more adaptive brain functioning, it promotes optimal performance as well as increased intuition and emotional intelligence. And interestingly, perhaps, the coherent state, right, the the frequency at which we resonate naturally as humans through the cardioelectromagnetic field of our heart is equal to that of the earth. The earth's electromagnetic field is the same as ours. So you mentioned in the beginning the fractal nature of this conversation, and I think this is a helpful way to kind of tie those pieces back together because coherence functions on a continuum from molecular to macroscopic to social and ecological. It's harmony with our environment and with ourself. Okay, so I'm hearing this and I'm thinking about 
a couple of different shifts that I've been on recently. And I'm thinking about the environment that I, I, you know, let me start over. This podcast is all about being, is all about the edge of human performance and trying to perform better in times of crisis and emergency. And I think about that environment, the version of that, that I practice in the resuscitation room all the time. And there are definitely times when I'm lined up internally. I feel good. I'm present. I'm calm. I'm able to, to produce the best version of me I can and to deliver my skill. And then there's also that fractal nature of the team and the community and the, and the responses around me. And there are days when I feel totally in sync with that and we're able to come together in a common vision. And then there's days when that falls apart entirely. And is that coherence that I'm talking about? Like, I know that's sort of a hard question to ask, but you know, there's times when the team galvanizes around a shared mental model and bam, everything works. And then there's cases where it all just falls apart. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a really healthy way to think about it. I, I don't know that I necessarily have a, a yes or no answer for you. It seems like, um, yeah, you would probably, to be functioning, functioning optimally as a team, you would probably spend more time in a state of coherence as a unit than less. Um, and when things crumble, it could be, it could be attributed to that. Okay. I, I want to shift gears slightly and put together sort of a slightly different approach to this. So we've been talking a little bit about the use of this quick coherence technique to sort of reintegrate in the moment. And that's like, you know, you're standing at the, at the foot of the bed, the patient's just arrived, they've been shot, there's blood everywhere, and you're trying to figure out what to do about that. But when you and I have been talking about this before, one of the really interesting areas we've dug into is what do you do before all of that? how do you use these ideas to sort of set yourself up for success, to prepare, to perform, to do in the days or weeks before a shift? And what's, I, which I guess is a way of asking like, what's the maintenance version of this look like? If we've just described the sprint, what's the maintenance and the stretching look like? Sure. Um, well, there are, there are a variety of techniques, but really practice makes perfect, right? So it is, it is about consciously directing yourself to be spending more time in a state of coherence throughout your daily life. So, you know, optimally you're practicing this, it depends on where you are, you know, in your development to begin with, right? Some of us, because of our experiences in childhood or, or throughout our development as whole humans, carry a lot more physiological stress in our bodies than others. So for some people, this might sound like a cakewalk, right? To be, you know, in their heart and in their body and in a state of coherence, it might come really naturally to some people. Whereas for others, it might be, it might take them some time to practice and to learn this skill. So by entering into a state of coherence, and you can, you can use different biofeedback um, monitors to measure it. Uh, HeartMath has a product that I really like um, that is a sensor that gets uh, attached to your ear and they have an app where you can practice coherence over time throughout your day. Um, but there are, there are lots of ways to do this in your daily life. I really, at this point, use it kind of in a moment by moment basis because there's, there's also this simultaneous um, aspect of myself that is sensing and aware of 
incoherence and coherence within my body mind. So if I notice I'm out of coherence, that's a trigger or a cue for me to want to naturally come back into a state of balance. So, but if you're somebody who spends most of their time in an incoherent state, it can actually be disorienting when you realize what coherence really feels like. So it really depends on the individual and where they're at um, as to what would be required to kind of reset the baseline, so to speak, so that you're your, your default is a state of coherence as opposed to incoherence. Let's, let's say I'm a more junior version of myself and I'm just starting sort of training in emergency care. I'm constantly exposed to situations that are incredibly challenging, bordering on that threat level of thing. And I'm, I'm sort of, you know, day-to-day bouncing back and forth between these life or death situations. I'm being called upon to perform in these very high, uh, high stress realms. What do I do with what you just said? Like, what's your, what's your prescription for me almost? Like, what, what do I take that from that? And and how do I use that in my day-to-day life? I certainly don't mean to trivialize any of the experiences that you just shared. But my number one recommendation would be to breathe. The The challenge when you're acquiring a new skill, especially I would imagine as a physician in emergency room settings, is you have all of this book knowledge that you've spent years learning in your brain, and then you have to do it with your hands and your body in a very high high pressure, fast paced environment. And through the practice of quick coherence, you can shift into very rapidly a state where all of that knowledge just clicks. It clicks on because you're no longer um, in that state of high stress. You can just use it more effectively. Y'all can't see this if you're listening, but but right behind Caitlin are these two big posters, one that says inhale and one that says exhale. So it's obviously a, something you think about quite a bit. And and when you say just breathe like that, is there any way, is it a certain breath? Is it a box breath? Is it, what are we, what are we doing here? For me, because I've been practicing this a long time, I can shift into a state of coherence with just one breath. So as you develop your ability to experience your yourself in this way, it really becomes second nature. So moment by moment, as I'm walking through life, if I am presented with something that is, you know, I naturally perceive as a threat, my first response is to breathe and in doing so, I enter into a state of coherence consciously as best I can. I'm not always perfect, especially when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. <laughs> and, you know, then the, the, the whole perception shifts. I'm no longer operating from that place of depletion. I can face what I'm presented with from a place of renewal from a place of integrated um, self. Hmm. 
I really, I really like this idea because it, it gets at something that I think a lot of us feel when we're performing in the emergency department is that, you know, we really, we want to bring the best version of ourselves to bear for the patients in front of us. And it's not always the first instinct that happens when, you know, you're tired and exhausted and hungry and you're dodging bottles of urine that patients are throwing at you sometimes and whatever else it is, right? And you're trying to bring the best thing that you have to bear on it. But that question of how, that real logistics question of how do you do this, this seems to me that it offers a lot of hope in that environment because it, it creates the idea that, hey, you can use some fairly simple entry points into into accessing a deeper sort of better version of yourself. Yes. Absolutely. And it does sort of tie back to, you know, in the beginning of our conversa conversation, we spoke about, you know, the wisdom of the heart, these more esoteric, philosophical ways of being in the world that have been, you know, practiced in world religions for, you know, as long as humans have been around. But being able to have an awareness of yourself as walking through the world as more than just the thoughts in your head and more than just the physiological sensations in your body and tapping into that innate intelligence that transcends your um, body's reaction to stressful situations. A big part of this is beginning to imagine the parts of ourselves that we cannot see through remembering that we are more than just the physical aspects of of ourselves right and using our imagination to visualize our energy centers we can get to know them a little bit better we can get to know those parts of ourselves that we maybe have forgotten or don't pay that much attention to in our daily lives. And I really believe that this is a fundamental developmental leap, if you will, that our species is going through right now, where it's our responsibility to remember that we are more than just ourselves. And we are all connected. And this is, you know, not just philosophy, right? It's a fundamental uh, principle of quantum physics is, is particle entanglement, right? That uh, the one particle here can be connected to another particle in a completely different part of the universe. So we are entangled through the central organizing feature of space-time, right? And our development as individuals is directly influenced and related to the other layers of society, including our family, um, our community, school, um, city, state, nation, and most broadly, the planet. And as we emerge from this time of crisis collectively, I think it's really important now more than ever that we 
do this reintegration work together so that we can move forward in a way that is in greater harmony with all that is, including the earth and the earth systems um, and the communities we're a part of. It's really humbling and interesting to hear that put that way. I think so much of what we talk about in this podcast, what we do in the emergency department is this one little cutting edge where it's just this one tiny millimeter difference between X and Y. And sometimes we're able to take a step back and see the larger ripples of the universe that happened before that moment and that might happen after that moment also, right? We see the inequity and the culture and the society and the breakdowns that led that person to be in front of you that day with that thing and all of the past that goes along with it. And then you see the ripples that go into that family and that community and into that part of society after that person leaves the emergency department. Hopefully in that one little moment where you're able to poke that part of the universe, you know, you produce a, a productive disturbance in, in the universe. Um, but yeah, or you a save step, a life. Yeah, well, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least you make the day a little better and you relieve a little suffering. And I, and I think that viewing that context, viewing your actions in the broader context of how they are entangled with and reflect on and are reflected by the rest of the universe outside of what you're seeing is deeply important and feels incredibly challenging a lot of the time when you know, you're so absorbed in getting this one millimeter difference right between things. Mm -hmm. But but maybe in a way that's what that's what you've been telling me this whole time in this conversation is that yeah, you know, your actions and your the the way that your heartbeat and your brain sync up is a reflection of the way that the community syncs up around you and that your you know your attention to that microcosm is part of your understanding and being a part of the bigger picture. All right, I'm getting some I good nodding from it. that. <laughs> I think I you got it. I don't know about that, but but man, it's such a, a wonderful thing to wrestle with. Um, Caitlin, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about this. It's been super interesting. It's really pushed the way that I think about the inner universe in myself and sort of how that connects to the broader aspects of what's around me. Um, I definitely have some thinking to do after this and, and I'm going to try that quick coherence method on my next couple shifts uh, and see what that feels like in the moment. But as we're sort of getting to the end of our time here, what challenge do you want to leave folks with? What do you want people listening to this to practice and to try in their own lives? Well, the one thing that I would say, the biggest challenge is to reframe what you just said. It's not more thinking, it's more feeling. Everyone listening to this podcast has a very sophisticated and highly developed brain. The challenge for us as intellectuals and as medical professionals is to remember that we are healers, not just operating on corpses. We're here to heal and only through the power of the heart and the innate intelligence of your body and mind coming together in a coherent state can we begin to heal not only ourselves, but the patients sitting in front of us, the communities we're a part of, and our larger world. 
Okay, folks, that brings us to the end of this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something useful that you can use next time you find yourself in an emergency or a crisis. Again, if you want to dig deeper into a lot of the concepts that we covered here, sign up for the Emergency Mind newsletter, Knowledge Under Pressure. It is free and it is awesome. You can join by going to www.emergencymind.com slash sign up. Also, as a reminder, our mission here at The Emergency Mind is to dig into lessons around applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide medical advice. Our opinions, as expressed on this podcast or elsewhere, are our own and not necessarily those of our employers or the hospitals at which we work. So keep up the good work, keep training, and good luck out there.